0: mm <laughs> My most loving Panams at Bhagwan's Lotus Feet Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Triune Pilgrimage This is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sai And I'm coming from our studios at the Sri Satya Sai Media Centre We are in the beginning of the 8th chapter We covered two verses last time I'll probably as always start with a short summary of those two verses because that's central to the theme what we're going to be speaking today. And what we're going to speak today is going to be the fulcrum which is going to lead to the concept that is going to follow in the subsequent weeks. We covered two shlokas, shloka number 5 and 6. Krishna gives a very important message in these shlokas. In the fifth one he says, Antakale, at the final moments smaran, remembering me alone, Muktva Kalevaram, whoever gives up the body, Yahaprayati Samadbhavam Yati, who departs in this manner, reaches my state. And he concludes that by saying, Na Asti samshaya, there is no doubt about this. This is in a declaration that krishna says that there is this is not up to chance it is not that some who happen to think of god in those last moments will reach god some may or may not this is a promise that krishna is giving this is a description of an absolute truth that he is giving that's why he's saying na asti atra samshaya if you think of god in the last moments it is god you reach we then discussed what swami says about this one is The way we live life matters for that is what decides the thoughts that we have in the final moments and the other is the necessity to be ever prepared because that moment those last moments nobody knows when it comes to us. We may look at it as a national average that this is the life expectancy in my country and so I'm expected to live till 80-90 years but there is no guarantee right? And that's why Swami says, who knows when the last moment will come. So it is better to be ever prepared. In the next shloka, the sixth shloka in the chapter, Krishna says, not only thinking of God takes you to God, whatever you think of while giving up the body, that is what you attain in your next birth or the journey after death. And whatever was said about thinking of God in the last moments applies to The other things too. If we are to lead life envious of those that are rich, we will be thinking of money in the last moments. And if we have pursued power and authority all our life, that is what will be uppermost in our mind in those last moments, and we will move towards a life of power and authority. This is a good thing, isn't it? That if I have always wanted to be rich, at least in the next birth I will be rich. I've always wanted to have musical talents and this birth it has not been possible probably in the next birth I'll be born with that talent and what is the wrong thing about it what is, the, what is the bad thing about it right Swami has this to say about this kind of an approach or an attitude and this passage I want to read out for you is from the 15th chapter of Gita Vahini Swami says there and I quote spiritual aspirants must be always Aware of this. The yearning must be directed away from how to be born towards how to die. For birth depends on how death takes place. Death comes first, birth happens later. People believe that people are born to die and they die so that they may be born. This is wrong. You are born so that you may not be born again. You die so that you may not die again. That is to say, the one who dies must so die that rebirth does not happen. When once you die, you should not be born again to meet another death. Death is inevitable. If you are born, so avoid birth itself and thus avoid death. So the spiritual aspirant should aspire not for a good birth, but for a good death. You may be born well in a good family or with many favorable circumstances. But subsequent action may not ensure a good death. If a good death is aimed at, the trouble of being born and becoming once again subject to death can be avoided. Everyone born must have the end always in view. Cultivate good habits of thought and action in order to make the end Genuinely auspicious. Attaining such an end is the unmistakable sign of winning God's grace. End of quote. So in that passage that I read out, Swami clearly says what the attitude should be of a spiritual aspirant. Yes indeed, if this this is something, if something in the world you have pursued and you have, as we were discussing a couple of weeks back, the good karma to go with it, it is like going into a shopping market. You have enough money in the purse. You might buy whatever you have aspired to buy. But the approach should not be that. The approach should be, as Swami says, towards a glorious end, towards having the right kind of death so that we are not born again. That should be the first aim. If not that, at least this death is leading us closer to that goal of not being born again. As Krishna said in a couple of chapters back, what happens in the case of a yoga Brashta, right? Yes, a yoga Brashta is born in a family that is well-endowed or he may be born in a family of yogis, as Krishna said. But the essence of that is when you have aspired for spiritual attainments, you will be given a birth that enhances or encourages you to move ahead in that journey, further ahead than you had ever moved till that point in time, as Krishna had promised. So that should be the attitude of the spiritual aspirant and that is why those two verses are very, very important because this whole journey is towards that last moment and nobody knows when that last moment comes and nobody knows what emotion will be running through our mind when that moment comes. So one has to be prepared to meet that moment in the right manner and as Krishna said, thinking of God in the last moments. Later in the chapter, Krishna is also going to speak more in detail about those last moments, a little more technical. As I have always been saying, the Bhagavad Gita is not merely a discourse that is to be taken and practically applied, that indeed it is, but it also reflects some of the essential philosophies, the fundamental philosophies of the Vedanta tradition. Right. So some of these things are also part of what is otherwise referred to as Raja Yoga Patanjali's yoga we've seen a part of that discussed when Krishna was talking about meditation so the scripture Bhagavad Gita also reflects some of these essential components of other Vedantic texts but some of these shlokas are applicable to each one you don't have to have a background knowledge about Kundalini and Vedanta or uh, Sankhya and all of these things these are practically applicable to each one of us for those who are academically inclined, to probably Krishna does go in deeper too. But Of course, in this series, we try to break it down with the help of Swami's writings. Because all of this is practically applicable to us. Even though it may sound a bit technical, it may sound a bit too deep and detailed for us, it does have direct applications in our life too. We will go to the next shloka, the 7th shloka of the 8th chapter. Again, a very, very important shloka. I'll probably first play it out, give you a brief meaning and then we'll discuss why this is such an important shloka. As always, I have it rendered here in the voice of Brother Sham, to whom we are very grateful to for helping us with the rendition of all the shlokas. So we'll listen to it in his voice, I'll give you a brief meaning after that and then we will discuss this very important shloka in detail. Tasmat sarveshukaleshuk Therefore, meditate always on me and fight. If thy mind and thy reason be fixed on me, to me shall thou surely come. That is the 7th verse of the 8th chapter. As I said, this is, in my opinion, one of the most important shlokas of the Bhagavad Gita. The entire message of the Gita is captured in the shloka and it is quite understandable why Swami's discourses have this shloka being quoted any number of times, right? Many, many discourses you would hear Swami quoting a few phrases from the shloka, if not the entire shloka. So in that sense, it's a very important shloka. This is a shloka that, if you look at it, must define our lives. Krishna said in the run-up to the shloka, if you think of me during the last moments of your life, you will reach me. Right? And he said there is no doubt about this. This is a fact that stands for all time. And then he said, for that you should make it a habit of thinking of me. Right? The entire life should be a series of Activities that enable you to think of me so that in the last moments you think of me. That doesn't mean that we must take up a life something like that of a sannyasi, a harikata exponent or a pujari in a temple or a priest or a parishioner whose daily activity or daily work is either taking God's name or in some way helps one think of God. yes, Choosing a profession such as that, choosing such activity will help. In fact, people like me who have chosen to stay back in the ashram do so with that hope that if in some way we are associated with Swami's organization, in some way we are associated with Swami's work, we can keep thinking of Swami, right? Well, this is a cheat code. This is a trick we are trying, but it doesn't work that way. Even after making a choice like this, even after being given an opportunity to live life like this, There are certain things that the spiritual aspirant must do. And if we say that people who work in such professions only can get redeemed, nothing can be more unfair than that. And certainly, God is not unfair, isn't it? So, the opportunity to merge in God, the opportunity to attain that supreme wisdom, the opportunity to free oneself from bondage is given to each one without any discrimination maybe that is why Krishna chose a battlefield to give this message what can be more contrasting than that when we are talking about living in a temple living in an ashram working in a church or working in a religious place that will enable me to think of God all the time but here is Krishna giving the most important message in the middle of a battlefield and this shloka brings out that contrast even more brilliantly. And in that contrast lies the most profound message of the Gita. Krishna says in the shloka, Tasmat, therefore, Sarveshu Kaleshu, at all times, Mam Anusmara, remembering me, cha, and continue to fight. After stating that life has to be led thinking of God for one to think of God in the last moments Krishna explains in the shloka how that life has to be led. Think of me and fight. Mam Anusmara Yudhya cha. Swami would say this many times during his discourses Mere Namasmarana is not enough. I have heard this as a student many times from Swami. Swami would say it is not merely sitting and taking the name of the Lord. Namasmarana alone is not enough. Swami would say, your Namasmarana should become Anusmarana. Grammatically, Anusmarana is something that can be used for Namasmarana. Right? In, in place of Namasmarana, you can use the word Anusmarana also. But when you contrast Smarana with Anusmarana, you could see it as a constant remembrance of the name. Namasmarana is something that you start at a point and you stop at a time. Anusmarana, Swami would say, is every moment of your living, wakeful state, you are thinking of the name of the Lord. Swami would say that is Anusmarana. So that constant remembrance is referred to as Anusmarana. And in that sense, you look at the statement, Mam anusmara When you talk of Namasmarana, we all have, at some point, experienced the calm that comes with Namasmarana, right? Even when we are in a very tense situation, we take Swami's name or we start chanting Sai Gayatri or the Gayatri mantra or whatever makes us feel more comfortable. There is a calm that descends on us, right? So when we talk of Namasmarana, we are talking about a calm state of mind. Then imagine the calm that comes with Anusmarana, but here krishna is saying mam anusmara cha, with that peace continue to fight and that is what i said is the brilliant contrast in this statement of krishna but this anusmarana also has another meaning there is another way of looking at it and Adi shankara in his bhashyam to the bhagavad gita explains this the prefix anu means in line with so Anusmarana means to think of God in line with the description given in the scriptures. It is not merely thinking of God but thinking of God as He has to be thought about as the description of God is as given in the scriptures. Of course for our discussion for now we will continue to stick with Swami's explanation that is constant remembrance of God but this interpretation is also valid As we will see in the subsequent verses, it is also valid in terms of what Swami says in Gita Vahini. And that's why I wanted to mention that. We will come back to it in the the later part of the program. But should knowledge about scriptures be mandatory for one who wants to attain God? When you say Anusmarana is to think of God in line with the scriptures, are we saying that to know the scriptures is mandatory? To know what Vedanta says, to know what the Purusha Suktam says about that Supreme Purusha. Is it necessary for me to think of God? Is it a mandatory requirement for me to attain God? I think this though is what contrasts what Krishna says in this shloka and the shlokas to follow in this very chapter. Till now Krishna said, think of me when you die, you will reach me you will see this thinking is explained in the few verses and how exactly one should think. As I said, it's a little more technical in the uh, next few verses. But I don't think Krishna is making this path so exclusive to say that only if you know what the scriptures say about me, you have an opportunity to attain me. Let me try to explain that and how this shloka, which Krishna is saying is in that sense probably standing out from the rest of the shlokas to follow in this chapter when we talk about reaching the ultimate goal of life we often speak of it as a journey from point a to point b and when we look at it that way the whole process becomes important the whole journey becomes important the details of every turn and every direction becomes critical right it's it's like going from place a to place b every direction and and turn becomes important in a trip from point A to point B. When we speak of yoga, of rituals, of some technical ways of attaining the purpose of life, then the details of that pathway become very critical. The Gita also sometimes speaks of those details, right? And we've come across some of them. We will, as I said, see some of that later in this chapter too. When Krishna spoke about meditation, we saw him telling a few finer details of where to sit, what is the kind of posture that you must have, where you should concentrate on, so on and so forth. But when we speak about bhakti, when we speak about upasana, only one thing is important. What is the most important thing in prayer? Is it the language we pray in? Is it the pronunciation with which we pray in? Is it the perfection in tune or shruti? No, what is important in prayer is only bhakti. The feeling of love and devotion, the bhavam. Either I should do it with love or what I do in some way must enable me to feel that love for God. That is all matters when it comes to prayer or the upasana marga, the bhakti marga. Only these two decide if what I am doing is right in the path of bhakti. Am I doing it with love or is what I am doing enabling me to love? And this shloka, I feel, must be seen as an instruction in that sense. If I am driving a car and I want to reach a particular place, I must take directions from someone or from the GPS in my car and I should be very careful to follow those instructions to the last word and if I miss any turn, I have to come back and take that reroute myself or do the needful, make the changes and again stick to the route as I am being told. But if I am just a child who is letting my mother or father drive my car, the only thing I need to do is just be in the car. I don't have to worry about the turns. I don't have to worry about where I have to go slow, where I have to stop, where it's a one-way, where I have to take a roundabout. It does not mean that the car I am sitting in does not do all these necessary turns. But I do not have to bother about it. I think this is the state of surrender So the verses that are going to follow where Krishna is going to speak about the details of how you think of God in the last moment, how you have to think of God in the living moment, it is not that for a bhakta these are not necessary. But one does not have to be bothered about them because one will be made to do all of those even without one's knowledge sometimes. The same Adi Shankara who has given us this beautiful explanation about the nuances of yoga and meditation and so on and these inner, uh, inner significances of some of these verses that we don't understand otherwise. The same Adi Shankara writes in one of his beautiful verses, the Bhavani Ashtakam, these very beautiful lines. He says, na dhanam, na yogam, na tantram, na Najanami janami pujaam na yogam gatistvam gatistvam tvameka bhavani Neither do I know charity nor the yoga of meditation. Neither do I know the practice of tantra nor hymns and prayers. Neither do I know worship nor the yoga of renunciation. You are my refuge. You alone are my refuge, O Mother Bhavani. Najanami punyam na janami thitha. Najanami muktim layam vakadhachit. Najanami bhaktim vratam vapi. Matar gatistvam gatistvam bhavani. Neither do I know virtuous deeds nor pilgrimages. I do not know the way to liberation, and my absorption is very little and weak. I know neither devotion nor religious vows. Nevertheless, O Mother, you are my refuge. You alone are my refuge. O Mother Bhavani. Such is the state of surrender. I have not read scriptures. I don't know how to do yoga. I don't know how to do meditation. I don't know what is this kundalini. I don't know what is this Yoga and Hatha Yoga and all of these things. All I know is to surrender to your feet. And that is all matters. I am seated in the car. The Lord drives. The Lord reaches me to where I need to reach. Something very similar to this once a student had asked Swami. He Had this opportunity to submit this prayer before Swami. He said, Swami, I don't know any Vedas and mantras. I can't meditate. I have tried. I go to sleep. I can't do all these big, big sadhanas that these great devotees do. How will I then ever be close to you? He asked Swami this question and Swami gave the same answer that Krishna gave Arjuna. He said, Make me a part of every activity of your life. When you eat, you offer it to me. Whatever work you do, do it as an offering to me. That way don't I become an integral part of your life. And when I am a part of your life, how can you be distant from me? So whatever you may do, here Arjuna is a warrior, so Krishna is saying fight. But fight thinking of me. This is not to be taken literally. We should not say Krishna, I said, Mom, Anusmara Yudhyacha so I will keep fighting with everyone I meet. And I'll keep thinking of Swami. It is not in that sense that Krishna is saying this. Fighting is a word used to connote the struggle of life. So whatever is your struggle, if you're a student, your struggle is to attain knowledge. If you're a homemaker, your struggle is to keep the home in order. right? If you're a teacher, your struggle is to impart knowledge. So whatever is your struggle, whatever is your yuddha, whatever is your fight, fight thinking of the lord how can i really think of god all the time when i need my mind for so many of my tasks right that's the next question that's going to come krishna is saying think of me constantly how can i think of krishna constantly when i need my mind for every activity that i perform in my everyday life we will come to that in the second line of this very verse but before that krishna also mentions Sarveshu Kaleshu and he uses the plural form for time Kaleshu he says Krishna could have simply said Sarvada Sarvada also means at all times right always but he says Sarveshu Kaleshu it could mean different times morning, noon and night it could mean summer, winter and monsoon it also means good times and bad times Because that is the nature of life. We cannot have sunshine always. We cannot have only happy times. We cannot have only daytime. We cannot have only nighttime. Life is such that the times keep changing. So even as life goes through these many vicissitudes, At all these times, whatever be the time, it could be a good time for you, it could be a bad time for you, it could be a time where you're in form, as we say in cricket. Everything that you play becomes a master stroke. Sometimes life is so pleasant to us. Sometimes everything we touch goes wrong. Everything we try to do is messed up. At all times, Sarveshu Kaleshu, continue to fight. But mam Anusmara Chah but the question still remains, how can I think of Swami all the time when I have to do so many things with this same mind? I have only one mind. How am I supposed to think of Swami and also keep doing these activities? And that is why we always come to this conclusion that if I can stop all the otherworldly activities and take up religious activities or spiritual activities, then my mind is thinking of Swami. I am a teacher teaching science or a researcher doing research Where is the space in my mind to think of Swami all the time? And that is why invariably, as I said, this decision of so many devotees would say that I'm waiting to come to Parthi and settle down. I want to give up all my commitments. I want to come and settle down. Right? Thinking of Swami is not to be taken so literally is what I think is the message being given through the shloka. Though I think at some stage, at one stage, this will also happen that anusmarana where the mind is constantly thinking of God in some form or the other will also materialize. But as a practice, as an everyday practice, that is not what Krishna is saying here that your mind should be thinking of Krishna or thinking of Swami and Swami's form all the time. How then to constantly think of God while going about our everyday works? That Krishna explains in the next line of the shloka. He says, Arpitam Mano Offering to me your mind and intellect. Mameva, to me alone, Esyasi Shall come to Asamshayam, doubtlessly. Again Krishna is assuring Asamshayam, doubtlessly you will reach me alone. Mameva Esyasi Mai Arpitam Mano When you offer your mind and intellect to me. The clue is to offer all thinking and actions to God. If we consider thinking of God as a task, then the question comes, how to do this task when I am doing other tasks? We are thinking of our works as one river and God and related thoughts as and the other tasks related to God as a parallel river. Right? So we are asking this question, how to make these two rivers meet? How to ensure that these rivers flow as one but think of it this way our life is the river God is the ocean where it must reach thoughts of God and the feeling of Arpanam that Krishna is speaking about here are the banks to this river that must guide this river towards that ocean sometimes the river goes through a crowded city sometimes it goes through holy pilgrimage centers but the river must always Go towards the ocean, and the banks must ensure that. In the same manner, this statement, Maam Anusmara Yudhicha, should be seen as this attitude of reaching God, the ultimate purpose of life. The compass with which we keep checking if we are on course is are we heading towards that purpose? Doing what we do, our profession, our work, sometimes money comes to us, right? We are paid for it. We are paid very well for it sometimes. Sometimes fame comes to us. You're given an award, you're given recognition. But our mind should be fixed on God. Just as I said, the river goes through many towns. Sometimes it goes through an industrial town. Sometimes it goes through a very rich and affluent town. Sometimes it goes through a poor village. The river has got nothing to do with what it goes through. The river has only one focus that it has to reach the ocean. In the same way, the way we Continue to do our life, sometimes recognition comes, sometimes success comes, sometimes failure comes, sometimes people accuse us. But can we think that my goal is only to reach the ocean? And if we are able to do that recalibration constantly, saying that, Swami, whatever comes my way, but I am doing what I am doing only to please you, I am not doing this to please any boss, I am not doing this to get any recognition from my family members. Whatever I am doing, I am doing it only to please you. For the world, I might be a mother caring for my children, but I am only worshipping you, Swami. For the world, I might be a CEO. For the world, I might be a lawyer. For the world, I might be a doctor. But in my mind, Swami, I am only worshipping you. That attitude is the mam Anusmara that Krishna is talking about here, where you continue to do whatever you are doing, You need the mind to do what you're doing. The mind has to be given that activity but constantly ensure that all activities are being directed towards this goal. A few days ago we had shared an interview on the Tamil YouTube channel. It was with an IAS officer. His name was Dr. Sai Kumar. I think he's presently the additional chief secretary to the government of Tamil Nadu. He was narrating how he he actually became an IAS officer. He wanted to become a lawyer and once Swami had called his father for an interview and Swami happened to ask about uh, Mr. so Swami asked his father, what is your son doing? What is he studying? So the father tells Swami, Swami he is doing his graduation and he wants to become a lawyer. So he is planning to study law after this. Swami said, why law? Ask him to prepare for the IAS exam. Ask him to write the IAS exam. So instantly his path forward has been defined for him by Swami. So he gives up the idea of taking up law. He writes the IAS exam. He clears it. And finally, when he has to take his posting, just before that, he comes to Swami and Swami calls him for an interview. And Swami tells him, see, for the world, this is IAS. But for you, it should be SAI. And whatever you are doing, wherever posting you are taking, remember, you are a representative of Swami there. That is the approach that Krishna is teaching through this verse. Whatever role you are playing, for the world it may be anything, but for us it is just a different form of worship. That way all actions will lead us towards God. And for this, thinking of God is of course important, right? I'm not saying that it's not necessary to think of God at all. For this guiding of our actions and our aspirations, that Thinking of God regularly is important. Setting aside some time for prayer, for contemplation, for reading, for satsang. These are all ways by which this direction is given to life. So in that sense, you will automatically have to develop a disciplined life. You will automatically have to have a control over your senses. And that is why I said, you might be a child sitting in the car. But you will turn at the right time. You will head ahead at the right time you will follow the route as the gps says only thing is you are not looking at the gps you are not tensed about did i take that turn or did i miss that exit right so for one who is surrendering all actions and activities to god what krishna explains in the verses to follow in the chapter will come automatically take the example of mother shabari what yoga did she follow did she sit and do meditation every day Did she follow Hatha Yoga or Raja Yoga or did she try to raise her Kundalini through Sadhana? Did she do Pranayama? I don't know. At least the Ramayana doesn't mention anything like that. She just was waiting for Rama. But she must have achieved everything that yoga speaks about just merely through that patience and craving for Lord Rama. Same with the Gopikas. So this is the greatest message of the Gita. Do whatever you are supposed to do, but do it as a means to reach God do it as a form of worship to God then you will be performing Anusmarana even as you fight through life and when a life is led in this manner we will automatically think of him in the last moments and without any doubt we will reach him and him alone I would like to just read a passage from Swami's discourse that he delivered on the 9th of June 1970 before we move to the next verse. Maybe a repetition of what I said so far, but nothing better than to listen to it from Swami's own voice. So I'll read out a few passages. Swami says and I quote, The Gita teaches the process of Dhyana in a neat little formula. Maam Anusmara Keep me in your memory and fight. The cue to fight the battle of life with God in the consciousness as the charioteer it is not merely a direction for Arjuna it is a prescription for all humanity fix your mind on me and fight I shall be the will behind your will the eye behind your eye the brain within your brain the breath within your breath the fight is mine the might is mine the trials and triumphs are mine The fruits of victory are mine. The humiliation of defeat is mine. You are I and I am you. That is the consummation of dhyana, identity, the negation of any kind of difference. End of quote. What a profound assurance that is. When you offer everything to God, even our failure becomes His. We don't even have to worry about our step slipping, isn't it? All that we have to do is constantly remember I am doing his work. He is doing his work through this body. When we perform our duty, have the thought, this is my form of worship. Every time when the ego or envy or any such emotion that comes out of comparison raises its head, we must quell it by thinking that he does, all praise belongs to him, he is the doer, what do I have to gain from all of this? And this has to be a lifelong sadhana. And Swami says, This is the best form of dhyana because what is dhyana? Dhyana is nothing but negation of difference. And this is the dhyana that Krishna speaks about. Swami continues in that discourse Maam Anusmara, with me in memory ever, do not distinguish this task as bhajan, this task as bhojan, this other task as pujan. All acts are pujan. For God, For food is given by him, eaten by him, for his sake, yield strength for his work. Each moment is worthwhile, for he gives it, he uses it, he fills it, he fashions it, he fulfills it. When he is fused with every breath, you can achieve the sovereign task of merging in him. You have the might. The Atma cannot be gained by the weak. So long as the source of might is not in you, is not all you, so long as you are a weakling unfit for the supremest adventure. Mām Anusmara this Smarana, remembrance, can become established only when you are free from the shackles of spite and envy. Anasuya With no trace of pride or envy, malice or hate, egoism or conceit. That is the way to keep the heart clean for God to install himself. Sorrow affects you because you feel you deserve joy and did not acquire it. But there is one impartial distributor of joy and sorrow who gives you what you need rather than what you desire. You may need the tonic of tragedy to set you on the road to recovery. The compassionate one, the eternal all-knowing God, he knows best. Welcome the tragedy and fight your way through with the armor of the memory divine. As all rivers hurry towards the sea, let all your imaginings wend their way to God. The play is His. The role is His gift. The lines are written by Him. He decides the dress and decoration. The gesture and the tone, the entrance and the exit. You have to act well the part and receive his approbation when the curtain falls. Earn by your efficiency and enthusiasm the right to play higher and higher roles. That is the meaning and purpose of life. End of quote. There's nothing more to add to that so very beautifully and clearly Swami speaks. This is the best life mantra we can hold on to. When troubles come our way, maam Anusmara yudhya When success, wealth, power and praise come our way, that also has to be battled because they are nothing but honey-dipped daggers. When they come our way, maam anusmarayudhacha. They don't have to be resisted, but we can be distant and detached from them, just like how we have to be distant and detached from sorrow. Whatever task we are doing, we may do tomorrow, we may do today, we may do in the future, maam anusmarayudhacha. Then, this river of life will automatically flow towards God and the end will be the ocean. What else can it be when all your life the river has been flowing towards God? So that is the very very important shloka from the 8th chapter. As I said, has been quoted many many times by Swami and so very beautifully Swami has explained that this is the Dhyana, right? this is the path of yoga that Krishna speaks about this is the prescription for all humanity I think we'll have enough time for the next shloka as well the 8th shloka we we'll listen to that it is a continuation of what Krishna said here and in a sense it also bolsters what Krishna has promised here we we'll listen to the 8th verse will give you a brief meaning of that and then we'll conclude with the discussion on that verse Abhyasa Yoga Yuk With the mind not moving towards any other thing, made steadfast by the method of habitual meditation and constantly meditating, one goes to the Supreme Person the resplendent, O Arjuna. So that's the 8th verse of the 8th chapter. In this shloka, Krishna again explains what that anusmarana must be like. Swami explained how it is like a river that has to be given direction. Here Krishna states, Yoga yuktena chetasa Chetas means the mind. A mind that is a Abhyasa Yoga Yuktena A mind that has been made steadfast through Abhyasa Yoga. Krishna had given Abhyasa as a means to study the mind in the sixth chapter. Abhyasa Yenatukanteya Vairagya. Vairagyaam Chagrihyati. Right? He had said that the way to control the mind is through Abhyasa and Vairagya. If you recall, we had gone through what Swami had explained about this Abhyasa. Swami said it is nothing but making thoughts words and actions be aligned with this goal of life and what is the goal krishna reiterates that in the second line of the shloka by saying that a mind that is controlled and streamlined param purusham divyam yati paramam purusham divyam yati reaches that supreme divine purusha what krishna is saying here as abhyasa Is of special significance in the context of Anusmarana that we discussed. But before we discuss that, he adds one more adjective too, and we'll mention that. He says, na, not, anyagamina, moving towards any other thing, anuchintayan, meditating or constantly meditating. As we saw in the last verse, chintayan is thinking. Anuchintayan is thinking as one must think or thinking constantly. So he says, Na Anyagamina Anuchintayan. Krishna says one must think and without letting thoughts go astray. But coming back to Abhyasa, here Krishna is not talking about meditation per se, but he is talking about a meditative lifestyle. The whole idea of doing meditation. Is to bring that experience of meditation into everyday life. Right? This is something that we have discussed extensively when we are talking about meditation. To make that line between meditation and a regular wakeful state to vanish. The same peace of mind, the same kind of thinking, the same kind of calm that I feel in that meditative state should be brought in through my everyday wakeful state. So that same experience has to be brought into our spiritual life. So what is it that Krishna told one must do while meditating? Krishna had said this in the 26th verse of the 6th chapter. While speaking about Dhyana, he had said By whatever things the shaky and unsteady mind goes astray from those things let him restrain it and bring it back to the control of the self alone. While meditating, the mind will wander. But the meditator must keep bringing it back to the right direction and make it focus on the self, right? That is what Krishna had said about the process of meditation. This same principle has to be used in life when we are trying to follow this command of Maam Anusmari Yuddecha. The mind's nature is to go after objects of the world. The mind will go after rewards that the world tempts us with. But the sadhaka must keep bringing it back on track. And this is the yoga bhyasa that one has to undertake as a lifelong sadhana. But all this discussion is not to take away the importance of discipline, the importance of sadhana in reading and contemplating on the scriptures. That is why repeatedly the other meaning of anusmarana and anuchintana is also emphasized here. Yes, if we have pure love for God, nothing else is required. If we have the love of Gopikas, the mind will be able to think of God all the time. and At the time of death is just another moment for a person who is so lost in Krishna consciousness. If we have that kind of love, you don't have to listen to the Gita series, you don't have to listen to even a discourse of Swami. You don't have to read anything, you don't have to think of anything because it is not required. All these are superfluous for you. If Krishna were to say that only that is required or only if you have that kind of love, you can reach the goal, then again he must be making the goal exclusive, right? So many of us are being barred away from that final consummation. But Krishna doesn't do that. He also speaks about a process that can be followed to get to that state, isn't it? Even for us who may claim to be quote-unquote devotees, are we in that Madhura Bhavam all the time? What the Kopikas were in or many great devotees of the Lord were in? I can talk for myself, I certainly can say no, that is not the case. Yes, at moments we are so connected with Swami, our thoughts are overflowing with love for Swami. But it does come and go, right? It's not true that we are constantly in that state. So we also need a process to ensure that this life is going in the right direction. That is why sadhana is prescribed. Connecting this part of the chapter to the next part of this chapter where Krishna is going to speak about the nature of that God whom you have to contemplate upon, Swami says a few words which are quite important. And I just thought I will read out that. This is from chapter 16 of the Gita Vahini. he says, Ordinary folk do not get their mind fixed on Madhava so easily at the point of death. It presupposes long training, previous achievement of certain accomplishments, what is called prior purification. The mind should have gone through a certain course of discipline, It has to be possessed of yoga. Even that is not enough. The mind must discard all other thoughts as low and inferior, even as defiling. This disgust towards all other objects should grow in strength. When these two are present, the thought of Madhava will certainly emerge and be steady during the last moments. So, your mind is the important thing. When the mind rots, All else rots. One moves as fast as the mind and in the direction that the mind takes. To tame and train the mind, good habits and disciplines have to be sought. Therefore, Krishna began describing how the Lord has to be pictured in the mind during the stages of spiritual discipline and with what feelings and emotions he has to be fixed in the mind. End of quote. We will take up the next portion in the following weeks but here in this passage, Swami explains why it is so necessary to picture the Lord in a certain way. Adi Shankara had explained, Anusmarana is thinking of God in a way that is in line with the scriptures. Swami explains why so in that para that I read out, isn't it? The mind has to reject the ephemeral. For that, it has to be trained. We discussed the importance of Nitya Nitya Vicharya Viveka last week and how it is important in this process. The mind has to reject the ephemeral, the mind has to turn towards God and for that, God has to be pictured in the right manner. You should not be picturing God as someone who is waiting to punish you, who is waiting to throw you in hell because you did not submit to Him, you did not worship Him. That is not how we have to picture God. The mind must develop this experience of God being Vasudeva. Otherwise, you're only thinking of another person, another entity, right? If you're only thinking of God as an authority, just like how you think of your boss at work, just like how you think of somebody superior to you, you're thinking of God also. He becomes another thought. He becomes another entity that you're thinking about. But God has to be pictured as Vasudeva, the Lord of who is the indweller of all beings, right? That is the essence of thinking of God all the time. Therefore, Krishna began describing how God must be pictured. That's what Swami says in that passage. And as we have seen, that is the essence of this chapter, chapter itself. In the introduction to the chapter, we saw that these are portions where Krishna describes the tat aspect of tattvamasi, that description of the Supreme Lord whom Krishna described in the shloka, we just went through as Paramam Purusham Divyam, that Supreme Divine Lord who is the Purusha. And that is why in our state, we need a disciplined life. We need sadhana. We need reading, contemplation and absorption, Shravana, Manana and I'd probably conclude with a very beautiful exchange that happened between Dr. Hislap and Swami. Swami was constantly... Giving explanations to Hislap about how love for God is very important, right? So, any question that Hislap would give Swami, Swami would always respond how important it is to develop bhakti for God and how love for God is more important than all these techniques and uh, nitty gritties of yoga and sadhana. So, at one point, Hislap asked Swami that Swami, but you say that love is enough. One either has that love or does not have that love, isn't it? How can you make somebody who does not have that love for God have that love for God? Something to that effect is what he asks. So Swami asks Doctor Hislap. He says, "Hislap, do you think you have love for Swami?" And Hislap looks at Swami and says, "Yes, Swami, I certainly feel uh, immense love for you, and I think I have a lot of love and devotion to you." Then Swami asks Doctor Hislap, "How do you think you develop such love?" He says, Swami, I don't think I've done anything because the moment I saw you, I felt that love within my heart and it has only grown ever since. It has never diminished. So I don't think I've done anything to attain this love. So Swami tells him, you have reached the state of being able to spontaneously love God through the many lifetimes of sadhana that you have done. It is that sadhana that has brought you to this point where you're able to recognize God and you're able to develop love for God. right?" So we may have immense love for God, we may not have immense love for God, or we may feel a little bit of love for God, it is just there in the corner. In whatever be the case, that love needs to be fostered and for that, sadhana becomes important. For that, contemplating on God in a certain manner becomes important. And that contemplation is aided when we listen to the right kind of things when we participate in satsangam, when we read the scriptures, when we listen to discourses, when we constantly spend our time in taking such input that moulds our contemplation in the way the contemplation of God must be. That smarana should become anusmarana. It should become constant contemplation of God but also a contemplation that is in line with the true nature of God. Right? And that is why the verses that are going to follow are very important in that sense. But in a very general discourse, in a very general message to all of us, what Krishna says in these two verses, Sarveshu Mam anusmarayudacha." Your battle may be anything, your fight may be anything, your struggle may be anything, but ensure that you are doing it as a means to reach God. You are doing it as another form of worship. Let everything be directed towards this one ocean then your life will itself meander towards that whenever is the last moment you will be caught thinking of god if i could put it that way so with that dear listeners we'll conclude this week's episode i most humbly offer this effort at swami's lotus feet I thank you all for joining me this week do join me again next week for the continuation of this triune pilgrimage till i meet you next time take care jay ram